Hi, my name is Ryan Martorado. I am the Chief Marketing Officer at FinSuite. And right now we are uh, pushing the limits of Webflow and trying to help folks uh, kind of monetize or grow their careers in the no-code space, especially with Webflow as a platform. Perfect. Thank you so much for willing to hang out with me for two hours on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> it was either this or the farmer's market, but yeah. You know. <laughs> Thanks for choosing me. <laughs> It's all good. Thanks for the invite. So I was telling you ahead of time that I was like super nervous beforehand. I, I'm nervous before every single one of these. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I actually also do like a lot of research ahead of time, which I think, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do know because um, you interviewed Joe before and Joe came back and was like, I did not expect the conversation <laughs> to go like that. <laughs> and so I'm already prepared for whatever, like <laughs> wherever this is headed, I'm ready. And I'm pretty yeah. much an open book though. So I'm, I'm not too like, I'm not too worried. Yeah. I, I was actually, um, watching those, uh, uh, growth, um, uh, uh, F and growth live streams and everything like that to actually like learn more about you and like, uh, kind of get to know you a little bit more and I'll, I'll yeah. keep on watching them afterwards. They were really cool. And, uh, Actually, um, that that little shout out that you gave to my podcast and the one that I, I uh, tuned into, that meant so much. I can't tell you how many times I listened to that little clip over and over again. So that, that really, yeah. really meant a lot. It's um, it's kind of like the reason we're doing this is to help. Like I set my goal at the beginning of this year, last year, when I like was my first full year at FinSuite and it was kind of like getting up to speed and then doing what we could to kind of like make sure FinSuite had a voice. We started the live streams. We started doing more emailing and different things. And then this year, the goal was like, hey, let's start using our platform to elevate other folks. And mm -hmm. so we're doing a lot of stuff with people who are organizing meetups. We're doing a lot of stuff with people who like creating assets. And um, yeah. And so when you see somebody doing something in the space that you appreciate, uh, yeah, you give them a little love. And I think that's why this space is so cool is because people are so friendly. Everyone's outgoing. Everyone wants to lift each other up. And you don't see that in a lot of other business environments. So, Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, definitely a big sw switch um, than when I was. Uh, so when it comes to the design and everything like that, uh, I started out in graphic design and it was like print, logo, um, uh, brand identity, all that kind of stuff. And when I was there, at least like in the environment that I was in, um, I was, it was a lot of like individual, um, you're on your own thing. You try not to look at too many other people's stuff because you're afraid of like copying them or, or like too much collaboration is like a bad thing and all that kind of stuff. And then I got into, um, UX and then I started meeting Webflow people and I, I was like, just blindsided. <laughs> by how collaborative people are how friendly people are and how like the amount of resources people would just send me they're like you need this here you go and I'm like okay <laughs> thank you yeah. and the amount of people that do stuff on 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 YouTube and stuff like that where they're just sharing information they're like hey I think you need this I think this would be helpful it's it's so crazy when you first started um interacting with these people was that as surprising to you as it was to me? Um, a little bit. And we can go into why, like, um, like I've seen this before in the WordPress days, like early WordPress days. Um, when I found the tool, first of all, I beat my head against it for like six months. You know, like I would start a project and then like walk away from it because I couldn't figure it out. And, you know, I'd do that a few times. And as soon as I figured it out, like, you know, I felt like I had unlocked the superpower inside of me. 
And that immediately led me to want to, and, and I had used clonables to learn, right? Over the course of that first year, I'd used clonables so much. And so once I got a handle of this, I was like, oh, I'm just going to make these sites that I'm building, these little things that I'm building. I'm going to make those clonable too. Mm. And that's where I met the community, right? I, I started releasing all these little tools. And at the time, the community was way smaller. So if you did something cool in the showcase back then, it was like on the showcase and it would be, <laughs> it'd be dead front and center on that showcase for like maybe two days because it would take wow. that long to cycle through. Now, you know, you're maybe on the showcase for a couple hours or something like that. Um, and so... I don't know, but I did see that early on because as soon as I started releasing those assets, then people started like engaging with me. And then I got on Twitter and I had never done Twitter, but for no code, Twitter's huge. And really? so I got like wrapped up into that. And yeah, if you're not on Twitter for the no code or Webflow world, like you're missing out. <laughs> Anybody out there, literally, if you're listening to this and you're interested in Webflow or no code, you should be on Twitter. Um, but yeah, it's just contagious. And I think it comes from that same thing that... I talked about when I unlocked and I was like, I got to share this, right? Because once you find that superpower, especially if you're a designer or a creative person who's been beating your head against learn to code for, I don't know how many years. Um, and, and especially for myself, somebody who tried to learn to code a lot of times and my brain just doesn't work that way, right? Like I understand the logic. I understand the reasoning. I understand all of it now because you can build a web flow, but I just semantically like, I, I don't know. I don't know where the apostrophe goes or with the space or the hash or whatever the thing in the open curly bracket with this whatever I, I, you know so you have to remember so much and when you can learn to do that in a visual interface you just like lose your shit you go crazy you're like oh my god and then you become like a evangelist for this thing because now other people hey you're i know you're struggling so you have to share and that like uh that creates that uh, community environment i think that we were just talking about um and i found that pretty quickly I found that really quickly in this space. So, and, and that's still there and still growing. Um, and it's one of my favorite things about this whole space is the community. It's why I, I mean, community has been a big part of my life. Building community has been a big part of my life for the last decade. And so they get a chance to do that digitally with a tool that I love, you know, with a company of other people that are doing really cool shit all around the world. It's like a dream come true. Like, I literally can't believe I get to call this work. Yeah. When, when was that the so when I started with all of this kind of stuff, I was also trying to learn how to code. Like I was taking HTML, CSS, JavaScript classes, and I have horrible memories from that class. Like the, the professor was really kind, good guy. But um, I, I remember being in an exam and I was just like crying in public, which is like the worst <laughs> way to cry. <laughs> and uh, it was a horrible. And I just remember it like, thinking like this shouldn't be this hard like why is this so difficult when I'm just trying to get this from point A to point B and then also like even if I make this thing I'm the only person that really understands it um like what how is this person going to interact with it and stuff like that um so so my first interaction with it was um I was trying to figure out this project that my aunt was uh trying to get me to help her out with and uh, we were thinking about getting a WordPress developer. And then by the time we got a quote back, I had already gone through like the whole Webflow University thing. And, and like my brain exploded. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like this thing that was holding me back is just like snipped and, and gone. Um, so that, that was my first interaction with it and my first aha, which was not too long ago. Um, 
but that's a big what? gate to walk through right like that's yeah. a big gate to hit so I'm sorry you can ask your question yeah. but like I'd be interested to ask you too like, <laughs> what does that feel like for you <laughs> oh my god I almost started crying like it was it was crazy I, I also was um uh talking a little bit about um yeah like when I was in in school I had spent like my whole life pretty much like I want to be a graphic designer like that's my thing I don't know about anything else that's like my only thing and it was kind of like an identity piece too like I am this um I'm Emily but I'm also mostly this and then uh all through college I didn't really talk to anybody about it but I was really um nervous because I knew that this isn't really what I wanted to do but I didn't know what what else I wanted to do so that's like a terrifying thought right and especially one that you're having in your senior year of college and you're not like excited to graduate you're not excited for for any of this stuff um and then when you actually find something that you you love that that actually is accessible and you can you can do it and you can learn it it's not easy <laughs> but uh you can figure it out way better than than this other thing that's like practically like learning I don't know Russian or something like that (laughs) that's how it felt to me um yeah that that's that's how I felt and I literally almost started crying when I I realized how how much I I have this second chance to do something that I actually love so that was my point but I was curious what your experience was like yeah it's super similar um the first time I knew it and was like holy shit was when I was on the WeTransfer website and the WeTransfer website had this cool little animation where like there was three stacked cards and when you hovered the cards like fanned out and I was like damn and I just learned Webflow Interactions I just learned I just like I've been playing deep I'm like but really I'm only three or four months into really from the moment so it took me six months I beat my head into the wall and then I kind of like abandoned it but after that six months once I finally caught it it took me about three months to get and this was probably in that time where I had learned interactions enough and I was like I wonder if I could build that in Webflow yeah and so I go to Webflow actually I went to some illustrator websites and just found cool illustrations that I knew would like kind of pop because I'm not an illustrator and I was like okay I'm gonna go find some fun little illustrations I'll credit this person and link to their profile from this page you know I can't imagine they'll be pissed at that <laughs> you know <laughs> um, and I built it in like, I don't know, 10 minutes in Webflow. Wow. And I just lost. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I've been dreaming about building stuff like this my whole life. I've been at, at this point, I had been making a living working with WordPress and selling WordPress for like seven years, eight years. Wow. And I never even dreamed of being able to do something like that, that that like level of interaction and just the colors changed like so the background was white and then when the things fanned out the colors went to yellow and these illustrations just became beautifully visible and I was like what are you even talking about and I started thinking about what I would have had to go through like I've led and managed some software teams and you know trying to get them to do those things is impossible trying to get them to understand hey I want mm-hmm. this to start and I want this to finish and like ah, oh, that translation layer is so hard and so when you discover Webflow and you discover that now you can write and read in a language they understand and present things and like like you said html css and javascript like i just lost my mind you know i just i went crazy like if you go look like just go look back all my clonables like i just i started rebuilding everything i could find online and i started looking i have a um folder in my phone pictures uh my photos i'm sorry on the phone that's like recreating webflow and a lot of times i'll see like movement somewhere i'll see a little interface i'll see some like tv set that does a cool little swipe or something. And I'm like, 
maybe I could build that in Webflow. <laughs> and so I would go and grab these things and I would see if I could do them. And I did some cool stuff. And that's what got me noticed, right? So the, the, from there, I built this thing called no-code video. Actually, there's a lot of things between there and no-code video because we went to no-code conf, the first no-code conf. And that's where I met uh, Joe officially for the first time in person. We had met kind of online before. Um, but yeah, I just started playing with these tools and create. I had to give away as much as possible. So here, just clone it. And some of that stuff, if you went back and you looked at the structure of it, you know, now knowing what I know now, I'd be like, oh, I'd be embarrassed for people to clone that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but it was part of that learning process. And it, I didn't know about build in public at the time, but that's kind of what I was doing. And yeah, I built these really cool interactive websites, a buddy of mine for a record label with this turntable that spun and then came off the wall and turned into like oh, a plaque that. and you just like these beautiful little things, you know, it's just like, I just felt, yeah, empowered. This is why I think so many people want to share. This goes back to the community thing. It's like when you learn that and you're like, holy shit, did you, did you know this? Do you know about this? Um, and it just becomes a super, and it's just going to keep going. It's just going to go and go and go. This is, this is, hasn't even barely started yet. I wonder if you felt this thing that I felt at that time. Um, I, with design and graphic design um there's this this thing that i felt was missing and it was like i would make all these plans do all of this guidance uh try to think through all these different situations um and then i would hand it over to somebody and they would take that thing that i made and then uh just go and do something else with it and breathe life into it in like a way that I wouldn't expect or use cases that I didn't expect and stuff like that. And then um I, I knew that that whole time that for some reason, like breathing life into things that I make was the thing that was missing. Um and and having to depend on somebody else that doesn't really know you um is tough. Uh, and then being able to make something and then also bring it to life in the same person was so crazy to me. And I was like, if I can do this, I can do anything. That's it. You become the unicorn, like you become the design unicorn, like you can do the design in the front end. That's what I was saying earlier about that translation layer, you know, where you have to somehow translate the design in your head and how you see it working to somebody who's then going to build it. You mm -hmm. know, and like if you're building a building, that's fairly easy because, you know, it's been around for a while. The architect knows what products are out there and, you know, and they, they, they draw the plans out and the construction guys just have to go and follow the plans. Mm -hmm. Right. But they're to the T. They're very detailed. Most designers, you know, like when you give a design, you don't have like they don't have those details because you don't understand the working knowledge. I remember when I first started on this, um, I met these web design guys and they were like, yeah, OK, we'll build your website as part of this. And so I, I gave them this design and they looked at me they're like you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> you really? know, it, was like, it was like this beautiful. Yeah. Well, Cause it was complex. And they're like, we, mm. you know, like we're not going to build that. And they didn't know how to build that. They were just using, they were doing what I was doing in WordPress, which is like styling themes and doing different things. They weren't like, you know, building from scratch. And now I think about that design and I'm like, Oh, I could build that, you know, probably in a day or two in Webflow. Um, so yeah, it's just, a. I, I I see a new industry being born right now and I call it like front end as a service. So mm. we're all familiar with SaaS, right? Everybody's got software as a service. That's like a, that's the bread and butter of most of Silicon Valley, right? Well, 
they have been generating data and everybody's talking about collect data and grab this, that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But nobody really knows what to do with that data. And they don't know how to display that data because you still need the developers who built the SaaS product, but they're busy building a SaaS product to make money. And so now all these people have data and connections and things, but they don't know what to do with them yet. And so along comes Webflow and the no code world, and they're opening a whole market to other people who can eventually be able to take that data and those things and put them into interfaces and combine them and invent things with that stuff that we haven't even thought possible yet. And so they will be offering front ends to people with data in random ways. This is what no coders do, right? They take your spreadsheet, they take your Airtable, they take whatever, and they give you some kind of interface for it, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're building the front end as a service, and then you can plug whatever data you want into that, right? Now, imagine you have a clonable setup where the database is an Airtable or whatever, and yeah. people can clone the whole thing. And so you're literally now giving away full stack software. And so who knows how that model evolves or what, but I think, yeah, Webflow is pioneers was front end as a service. As soon as they opened up that back end with like more developer APIs, which I know it's like on their radar, they're working on it hard. Um, it's going to be off to the races. You know, when Webflow has a plugin marketplace, kind of like an app store, you know, like Apple has an app store, you know? Um, yeah. I actually always make the comparison that WordPress is BlackBerry and Apple, I'm sorry, and, and Webflow is Apple. Um, <laughs> but Apple before the app store, right? Because if you remember before, I, I don't know if you remember, I don't know um, if, if you remember any of this transition, but... <laughs> Before the days of the App Store and Apple, the iPhone was just kind of a toy. You know, it was like this cool device. You could kind of make calls on it. It had a flashy screen, but you couldn't do a whole lot because there were no apps for it. And BlackBerry was entrenched. Like BlackBerry was the corporate enterprise level communication thing. Everyone was using BlackBerry and everybody thought, oh, this iPhone's a toy. Mm. Well, then iPhone launched the App Store. And now everybody could build something for this toy, right? Mm. And those things made this toy powerful. And we all know where that ends up, right? BlackBerry is no more. It's iOS all the way. I think Webflow is in that state where people just see this as a toy, right? Mm. It's just a cool toy for building little front ends. It's not serious business, right? But we're watching that change. We're watching more enterprise people come. We're watching bigger agencies come. And we're going to see the opening of this plugin marketplace. I don't know when, right? I can't, yeah. I, I don't know if it's like at the end of this year, I don't know if it's the end of next year, it does, but that doesn't matter. It's going to come. And when that comes and when the people at HubSpot and the people at MailChimp or the people at Airtable, whatever, can just build a plugin directly to Webflow. And again, now you just have this front end as a service. And so like they're, they're going to swallow all of it. Like WordPress doesn't stand a chance. The problem is, Nobody sees that yet. It's hard to kind of visualize. And I don't know that Webflow is going to be the only player. I think lots of other people will play, but they're so far ahead that it's just, I think it's going to be something special. And I could be completely wrong, but um, I, I, I don't know. That's where my, that's how I see it. And that's where I think this is headed. The reason why I'm so excited about what you're talking about. Well, for, first of all, I wanted to address, I, I had a BlackBerry at one point. <laughs> me too me too yeah. I, I, not only that I, I i had the blackberry storm i still have it in a little box in the closet here really? i had the storm too so even after that first iphone came out my friends were like oh iphone iphone out i was like whatever have you played with bbm though have you even like all this bbm blackberry messenger oh got it got it yeah um and so 
yeah, I got the, even the Storm 2 BlackBerry. And then it was the iPhone like four or something like that when that came With out. With the or, curved or, edges. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this is what I, this is, yeah, I should be here now. <laughs> I, I was the, the oldest kid. And so when you're the oldest kid, sometimes you get the, the hand-me-downs from your parents when it comes to tech. Um, mm-hmm. And so I started out with a, the silver singular flip phone uh, mm. where you had to like press all the buttons and it was so small. Uh, and then I went to the uh, a, a hand-me-down pink Motorola Razor mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the Blackberry. And then I got the, the curved iPhone that I had for like forever. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was weird. I had like a weird evolution in the span of like five years. <laughs> right. Yeah. I kind of see. So if you go back to those early days of, of iPhone, there were a lot of people who understood like what it could potentially be that like all my friends who had iPhones were like, it's like Tesla people now, you know, <laughs> like Tesla people is like a cult. You can't even call it a car. It's got to be called a Tesla, you know, and the iPhone folks were kind of like that back then. Oh, it's not a phone. It's iPhone. You know, it's not a, you know, um, and I feel like we're those people in the world of Webflow right now where mm-hmm. not everyone understands it. Eventually they will understand it, but we're just like, oh no, no, it's digital. It's bigger than you think. It's visual software. It's not, it's not just drag and drop. This is no, it's not squares, but you know, it's like, so we're the, we're those people now, those early adopters who are like, no, 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 relax. It's coming. This is the thing we know, like Apple's going to be good at this, you know, Tesla, te- they all knew, you know, those early Tesla folks, they knew, and now look at what Tesla's doing. And so we're just in those early adopter phase where like, not everyone knows, you know, there's, there's a lot of skepticism and yeah, time will tell. Do you, um, uh, did you hear the thing from Vlad about like no mode a long time ago? The, um, uh, but before, when I was talking to Vlad about, um, uh, kind of like the happenings before Webflow and stuff like that. He said that um, part of the reason why Webflow is so different is because um, there was this um, this speech that he saw a really really long time ago, mm. and it was on YouTube. It was a uh, like a a dev conference from like 2008 or something like that, and he mentioned it in a podcast one time. And I went and watched the video. Um, oh, I forget that it, it like has it's to do worry with no dream. It's, a, it's it's a guy named Victor yes. Brett Victor. Yes, yes. So do you know what I'm talking about? I Yeah, Vlad told, I I remember watching an early interview with Vlad and he talked about this guy. And then I went to, it's worrydream.com if anybody wants to look it up. Um, Yeah. And go explore that website. I got lost in that website if you haven't been there. And it talks a lot about the concepts of like, I don't know if this is the no mode one specifically, but so many ways of just like visualizing data and like, um, like it, the one that got me was like uh, electric circuit principles where they're like, instead of teaching, like when you learn about electrical circuits, you just see like a diagram on a piece of paper. Yeah. Well, he built some versions where you could like change the inputs visually and you could start touching things and moving things around. And by doing that, you learned how the current flowed and what things were doing. And it was like, oh, I would totally pick this up way easier than if I had to like just. And so, yeah, um, I dug into brett victor deep 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 and it was because of lad as well so wow so yeah and and the whole thing of of being able to create and develop at the same time and mm-hmm. and see things very very quickly and stuff like that um the thing that that i'm really excited about from what you were talking about before is i actually we were talking a little bit before about uh how i'm working on this uh, membership site 
um, for fun. <laughs> and I'm uh, using like uh, Zapier and Airtable and MemberStack and all of this kind of stuff. And um, the person who is teaching me how to do this is Connor Finlayson, who's like one of the yeah. most amazing people ever. Um, and he showing me how this all works and and the idea that this could be kind of even better and even more well connected than it already is is kind of crazy because once I started using these integrations, once I started going through the list of everything's available on Zapier, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is very different. So yeah, what, what do you think about that? I, first of all, shout out to Connor, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unicorn Factory in the house. Um, yeah, it's just so powerful. You just, you can't underestimate it you can't and you can't know it unless you're in it it's one of those things where like um i don't want to go there <laughs> there were some things and have been some things like in the webflow community that i think were led because they put people to run the community that didn't understand the power that the tool actually gives people mm, okay and it's hard to build a community if you don't get that right like you and i can bond over this power that we know we now have with webflow that doesn't mm -hmm. mean we both need to be like experts or super like high level freelancers, but we kind of need to know about how that frees us creatively. And if you don't have that piece, it's very difficult to then grow an effective community or empathize around that, which is why I think what we're doing at FinSuite is becoming so exciting because I deep down am a builder and a tinkerer and a creator. I'm not a business person. I'm not, um, you know, like I, I just want to build stuff. I want to make things. I want to explore with stuff. And Joe is kind of the same thing. He loves the platform. Like Joe is a, an amazing Webflow developer in addition to running the business, right? And so, and his technical knowledge is really strong too. And so like that, being able to regurgitate that and be on the fly and being able to have people interact with us and we can answer the questions legitimately, like that builds a lot of credibility in that community space. And I think that, you know, that's where, that's where things start to get interesting, right? When you can start, grouping people who understand this power and understand this tool and they can start collaborating in interesting ways. And you're starting to see it all over the place. You know, you're starting to see new little like this, this even this, this podcast pop up, uh, the Webflow show, the Webflow party, you're seeing all sorts of no code North, you know, this group in Canada that's about to launch uh, a, a group, meetup group dedicated to Canada. Um, we work with meetup organizers all around the world. And, and so you just see these little things percolating and it's a super cool that to, to just watch that in real time. I've, I've, I've only ever seen that evolve once before as an industry. And that was in WordPress. Mm. Um, I, I was back in the early days of WordPress and there was like other things like Joomla and Drupal and lots of other kind of open source CMSs that uh, were popular in the time. And there was like this debate, which one's going to win kind of like, there's a bubble or webflow, whatever, whatever, you know, mm. but back then it was WordPress and Joomla and all these other things. What I saw around WordPress that made me stick to WordPress was the community, was that there were so many people building and engaging and playing and teaching and hosting events and doing all that stuff. And I was like, WordPress is going to win hands down. They just have this team. Like the other tech was just as good. Mm. It just didn't have that. That's more important than the tech, right? Like, like building the tech now is like, okay, like the tech should just work. But getting the people around the tech, that's a big thing. And that's where Webflow has this like huge advantage right now, you know, mm -hmm. that, and, and so even though the product's been a little slow to roll out, uh, I think they're reformulating a lot of stuff on the back end, 
but that community around this product is why I'm like, this is, this is why I'm here. Right. Mm -hmm. The people, the way it plays, you know, like just how these relationships are building and all of these things that are going on kind of behind the scenes is just really exciting. And I, I, I think I'm way away from whatever your original question was at the beginning of this. <laughs> no, that's um, all good. But you know, like th that's just, that's the energy that I see carried through all those little pieces. And that is, that comes from just being able to visually manipulate the code on this page, you know, like in this interface. And that all comes again, that go back to that Brett Victor guy. If you haven't seen it and you're listening to this, go, go explore that worry dream website. Yeah. The, the, the Brett Victor speech was a lot about um, all of these ideas that never really get to come to light because of you, you either aren't in the space where you're creating and developing at the same time. So you can't try out new stuff all the time. You kind of have design and then you just hand it off. There's that that's missing. And then there's all these people that have these great ideas, want to do things, but they, they just literally don't have any tools that they're aware of or the skills to be able to do it in the traditional way. So he was saying that like, it was kind of like an injustice <laughs> that the, all of these great ideas that could help people or do so much good or just be successful and make people's lives easier um, that they couldn't come to light just because of this like stupid thing that yeah. to him just didn't make any sense. Yeah. That's probably this. Yeah. The, um, talents distributed evenly across the world, but resources and opportunities are not, you know, yeah. in most instances. And so, yeah, anything you can do to remove a barrier to entry for folks to get them into a place where they can leverage their own skills and mindset to either make money or build something, whatever it is. You, that's what that's the teach a man to fish thing, right? That's the mm -hmm. give a man a fish eats for a day, teach a man a fish eats for a lifetime, right? Like that's literally it. You're giving people the ability to teach others how to fish and how to live and how to subsist. Again, that's the reason why Joe and I started the growth podcast as opposed to getting into like teaching more tutorial stuff. Mm -hmm. Because there's lots of people who are teaching how to build with Webflow and how to like know the platform. But that's mm -hmm. only part of it. At the end of the day, you have to be able to go sell those skills and make yourself marketable and bring like real projects to the table so that you can flex the skills you just learned. Lots of people go get buried in learning the platform and forget that they need to land a client, you know? And yeah. so we wanted to focus our attention because both of our backgrounds is in sales. And so we wanted to show people like, here's the business of this. Here's mm -hmm. how you need to think about this. You know, if you're trying to like monetize this professionally um, and, and yeah, this changed my life and WordPress before and now Webflow. I mean, I haven't had a real job and I can't tell you how long, like at least almost 15 years just haven't had a, a real quote unquote job, you know? Um, and that's all because I have a little box on my desk that when I touch it in the right way, money fills into my bank account. <laughs> you know, like we're living in a weird time where literally we all have access to these little fucking metal boxes yeah. and you can just tap on those and move them around and use some of that creativity in a way that maybe you weren't able to before. These abstractions have happened in, in almost every industry. Right. Like mm -hmm. no architects hand draft their drawings anymore, even though they could. Maybe some of them yeah. do. Maybe some of them enjoy doing architectural sketches and renderings. But when it's time to deliver the plans, they're going to go into AutoCAD and they're going to build the, the thing that they can hand off for real. 
Same thing with like video editors, you know, maybe there's some cinema cinema files who still want to shoot in 35 millimeter and they want to, you know, like splice the cuts and do whatever, like, sure. But most people who are doing video are on a fucking Final Cut or Adobe Premiere or something like that, right? All like abstractions have happened in the, like that in almost every industry, lots and lots and lots of industries, except for in the software development space, the code space. And that's that abstraction that I see happening now where, you know, before... I don't know. It's hard to splice the film. It's hard to develop the thing. Like it got to be really precise. Now anybody can pick up the thing and edit video. So the same mm-hmm. stuff's coming in that code of world of code where it's like, it's difficult. I understand. I'm still can see, I can tell a story. I just don't have access to edit the film. I just can't, mm-hmm. I can't develop the film. I don't have the money for this camera, but now cameras are tiny. They're on your phone. <laughs> They're better than you could dream of. Right. Yeah. And so that's coming for code too. Code is out of reach. Like you said, it's out of reach for most people. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm smart. I'm fucking, I'm like, like really smart. I couldn't figure out code. Like it's just like, it's not for me. And it's not just that you have to learn one language, right? I understood HTML. Cool. But then Mm -hmm. you got to write CSS too. And then if you want to make that do something, you got to write some JavaScript too. And remembering Mm -hmm. how all that works. And then with modern web specs with flex and grid and all these other things, like what? This is like, you don't have to learn a language, you know, like you alluded to before you have to learn like four or five languages. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, no, you don't go do it visually in Webflow. They'll handle your servers, the under the back end, everything. You just have this interface now where you as a creator can go in and tinker. And like you said, you can adjust the padding and see the padding. You can change the background and see the background. It's like real time applying these things. And so you no longer have to just hand off this design to a person and expect them to translate it. Now you can translate it yourself because there's so many things that go Like when you're designing this, you're designing for a fixed frame. And so things look good in these proportions and with these spacing and with these gaps, you hand it to somebody else and maybe their monitor is this big or they have a different resolution or, you know, they're on a 15 inch monitor or a 20 inch monitor, whatever, 27, whatever it is. And so now they have to make decisions and they're not a designer. They have Mm -hmm. to make decisions about where does this gap, you know, spread? Where does it stay tight? Where do these little things go? Whereas when you're, if you were translating that yourself, which we do in Webflow, you can make little adjustments and you're the designer. So you understand how to make that. So it still holds true to your original vision. Mm-hmm. And that, those are the little things. Like I remember working with software teams earlier and even now still sometimes where you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> how does that, I told you that we talked about, Duh! and then you start pulling your hair out and you're like, what do you even do? <laughs> where did you get that from <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you even talking about <laughs> and, and it's just and so not to have to do that or to be able to get around that even if they have to go then rebuild it because you can export the html and css you can at least give them like this is how it's supposed to be mm-hmm. you know um so yeah i like a broken record but that's that's the superpower like mm-hmm. to me that is a real world fucking superpower and i'm over here just trying to be like you know if me and joe i made this analogy the other day or like professor x trying to gather all the mutants and like say come on like we could do some really cool shit if we all just like put our superpowers together oh um, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Super i'm imagining right that right now <laughs> that'd be a fun me <laughs> Like it's a fun me. Photoshop. <laughs> Joe sitting in the Professor X chair. 
I'm probably Wolverine, you know, I'm probably like the, the, the punk asshole who's just <laughs> a little rebellious and <laughs> got a short temper and just ready to like swing at things. <laughs> you remember that, that scene when um, uh, the Avengers were fighting Thanos and then all of a sudden all of these like legendary characters started like coming out of the, the ether? <laughs> Yeah. I'm imagining that like of <laughs> um uh like all of the people that I admire in no code, like Connor Finlayson comes out of the corner, you and Joe come out. It, Yeah, th- well that's what kind of that's what no code comps felt like in 2019. Um yeah. I'm really disappointed we didn't get to do it. And I understand the circumstances why they didn't, but um I was really looking forward to kind of repeating that experience because the online stuff's great. We do a lot of cool events. We got this big open house coming up. Last year at the open house, we had like 225 people inside a gather. And that created like a really unique atmosphere, but it wasn't anything close to like being in a big conference hall with all these people and being able to interact and talk with them in ways that you just can't online. Mm -hmm. Um, To go grab the drink and to hang out and, you know, just like, shoot the shit and and just get real comfortable, right? Again, in a way you kind of can only do in person. Um, and so those types of events are important, I think, for this community. And just like you're saying, you know, seeing all the people like when you go, <laughs> when they do the no code comp again, or um, we're even planning like a mini comp, we're planning like little things. Ooh. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna do. Yeah, yeah, we won't talk about any of that. But yeah, we're okay. planning some really cool stuff. And it's like that, you know, you see so and you see Lacey Kessler walk in, you see uh, you know, any, any of these other folks, you see Connor, you see Aaron Cornblit, you know, you see Nelson Avalos, you see Vlad, like I, you know, I have selfies with Vlad, you know, and Brian Chu and just everybody that was, and it was just cool. Like you're saying, it's like, you're seeing all these little <laughs> heroes of your story of your work story come out. And I don't usually fanboy, like I'm not a, like, I don't, you know, get super excited about celebrities or any of that stuff, but I got excited in that moment to meet all these people who I'd been interacting with in the Twitter sphere. And then come into the real world and that energy was just electric that again that that uh you get that many people who understand the power of this thing into one space and it just becomes like yeah it's wild you said this a little bit before and i noticed this from uh looking up your backstory and everything um community building is a big thing and and i've met a couple people who are super big into community building and there's something really different about them that that I don't think I really have and I don't know I you there was like so much volunteering that you've done so many community organizations whether it was like in Sarasota or uh, in no code and everything like that what that role that you you're in um when you're you're orchestrating this creating events and all of that kind of stuff um what does that that mean to you and and why do you really like doing that so much that's a good question um i think because i don't know where it came from to be honest um but i always like to kind of stick in my nose where it didn't belong um (laughs) you know like i liked getting into things and um when i was coming up um, I don't even know where to start this. So I used to have, I used to be in a, a corporate insurance sales, right? Suit and tie every day, got exposed to all the chamber of commerce and we'd go to the country club and we'd take clinics of golfing, outdoor entertainment, whatever, you know, you'd like, and 
I started uh, rubbing out. El- yeah, we'd go to like these galas and I had to wear suits, tuxedos and, you know, you'd rub elbows with the senator or the whatever was over here. And, the t- you know, oh, that's the mayor. And like it was cool. I'd never seen that. Right. I'm a poor schmuck that my parents moved from Puerto Rico to Ohio right before I was born. And I grew up in, you know, like some lower middle class, like just kind of a shitty place, you know. So like for me to get exposed to that. I was like, damn, this is cool. What is this? Like, I was never exposed to that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really like the suit and tie thing, but like, it was new for me, right? There's a street kid that this kid from the street that kind of like played pool and uh, kind of caused ruckus, was a lifeguard and like, didn't have a whole lot of ass. The co- college dropout, I was a design school dropout, was now rubbing shoulders and doing all of this stuff with people that I was like, damn, what is the Like, what even is this world? And then 2008 hit and that world fell apart. I mm. uh, ended up losing my job, uh, found out my wife was cheating on me, ended up getting divorced, moved back into my mom's basement, like, and then became a blogger. <laughs> Talk about cliche. Right? Wow. Um, and so in the process of reinventing myself, I remembered the lessons I had learned in the suit and tie world. Yeah. Right. And I was like, yo. And so I found myself, the, the economy had collapsed. I couldn't find work. Um, nobody wanted to hire a guy who, you know, was doing commercial insurance in Florida. First of all, my license didn't transfer. I was back in Ohio. Now there was like a lot of reasons and I just didn't want to go back to suit and tie. Mm. And so I started thinking about what I could do and I got a job flipping burgers in a kitchen for a while. And I went back to lifeguarding. And then I started thinking about, um, then I got a job. I call it sweatshop sales. I was selling office supplies door to door Dunder Mifflin Mm. style. And so then I started realizing, Oh, you still got this sales thing, but I didn't have any of the business network. Like I had, back in Sarasota, Bradenton, where I had like done this corporate thing. Mm-hmm. And so I got it in my head that I was going to start my own business. Actually, my mom introduces me to this tech guy, this tech guy is selling text message marketing. And um, he was trying to recruit me to come sell for him. And through that conversation, I realized it wasn't his technology that he was just reselling somebody else's technology. And I was like, oh, I'll just go buy it and I'll sell it for myself. Like, I don't want to sell for you. Like, this is literally what yeah. I'm trying not to do is like not to go work for somebody else again. Yeah. And so I was like, that's what I'll do. I talked to a couple of friends into putting, we put $4,000 into a pot. I had saved a couple thousand bucks. I moved back to Florida because in Florida, I was this business guy. They knew me mm. as this person who worked as an insurance agency back home. I'm the pool rat. I'm the nobody. I'm the like, you know, poor semi, whatever that just, you know, flip flips burgers or is a lifeguard and like, how do you reinvent yourself in that place? Mm-hmm. But over here, I can be whoever I want to be. And I came back to Florida and I said, I'm going to do something unique for myself. And I had these text marketing credits. And so I started reaching out to my, all, my, all my old business people, everybody I knew, like anybody from that network from before, like, hey, can I come talk to you about X? And I also started going door to door, just trying to sell these text marketing things. And the text marketing really never sold. But I figured out what people needed. They needed actually like marketing. They needed digital marketing. They needed websites. Mm, And mm. so through that process, I convinced somebody to pay me like 10 grand to design a website and a logo for them. And that was my first real client. And I stepped into this world. And as I started gaining momentum and seeing in my local community that I could make, that I, I could do these deals. And I started going back to the chamber and these business relationships. And I saw how they did business and how they did business was very political. <clears throat> they would go down to city hall. They would schmooze at the country club. 
So I would see how they maneuvered. And I saw that most of the way how business got done was like this political game. And like, I was the outsider and Sarasota is like a very affluent society. And I come from a, you know, like I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not bougie. I don't like whatever, you know? Uh, and so I was always the odd guy out, but I saw how they were operating. And I was like, I can play these games. I can do this stuff. Like I know how to, like, I know how to operate like this, but what, I, what if I did it my way? And so I started this little group called Sarasota Underground. And we just met at a restaurant one day at one of my favorite spots. I don't know, there's like 10 or 12 of us lined up on a table. Um, and at the time I'm working with some software folks. That's a whole different story. I'm trying to build something. And the Sarasota Underground was a part of, was going to be our marketing thing. We're like, we're going to get this community involved. There's so many issues here locally that are important to us. Um, I had been on the Young Professionals uh, through the Chamber of Commerce, their board of directors for a couple of years um, mm -hmm. and kind of saw how like what it takes to organize some of this stuff and to really put big events together and like push things along. Yeah. And I was like, let's do it. And so we had an opportunity to start pulling people together. And there was also a lot of creatives who didn't know how to do anything with their time, with their efforts, right? They're super creative, but they don't know how to channel that because mm -hmm. most creatives are not salespeople, right? Most creatives are not good at selling themselves. And so I was like, okay, I'm good at selling, but I'm also good at the art stuff. Like, let's go find out how you can pull all these people together and again, do something really special. Mm -hmm. And so we just started organizing shit. We started organizing these little creative salons where I would get a musician, a spoken word poet, some, somebody interesting from the community to come tell a story. And we'd go to these bars and we would just have these really cool events where it just felt electric, you know, and there was no charge for these events. It was, it was like, you know, we were funding it out of our pocket and um, just to do it, just to get people excited. Mm -hmm. And after doing that for a little while, you start showing up at city hall, you know, and I was always a media guy. So like I started carrying a camera and we would just go in and interview people and then this big city election happened and we're like, okay, this is it. We're going to do something fun. We start, we called all the candidates. We organized uh, in-person video interviews and they were terrible at the time, but anyway, it was fun. And then we threw this big town hall event uh -huh. and <clears throat> I'm talking about like a huge auditorium. We built a stage we had um, and we were going to make politics fun. So we had a regular session. We got somebody that was going to come and moderate it. We had eight politicians or seven politicians on the stage. And we did this little panel discussion for like the first 30, 40 minutes. And then we had planned to like interrupt the panel with like game show music. And <laughs> we interrupted the show. We did a set change and nobody knew this was going to happen except for us on the back end. And the, really? the, moder the moderator knew, but none of the panelists knew. And so after a while of them just kind of doing their thing, I think it was about an hour or so. So we got, let them say their pieces. Yeah. We called, we play this game show music, like Price is Right. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know, it just like starts, and you should see their faces. We have it on video, by the way, if you want to ever want to see this. And they are looking around crazy. And so the moderator tells everyone, okay, stand up. We have like 30 volunteers, come grab all the couches, pull them off. And we had built these isolation booths that then we slid up so that the politicians had to stand in isolation from each other. And we handed them yes or no paddles. And so we're like, now we're going to do a lightning round. None of you can see yes or no, what you're voting like this. Now it can't be biased. Like you can't be influenced by like, oh, I'll take the stand on this one or whatever. And wow. we just started running through red light, green light, we called it. <laughs> like, and we just started playing red light, green light with the politicians. And you see them all kind of trying to sneak out and like, look at what the other person's going to do. And like, they just can't. And we're like pushing them back. It's like, no, no, no. And we'd ask them questions about like, do you think Sarasota has failed young professionals? You know, like, uh, do you think we should do X, Y, Z to do more affordable housing in the area? 
And so we just wanted to put them on the record for all of these little things. And it was fun to watch them squirm. And like, we had 450 people in the audience. And so, and these wow. are all from the community and people are just laughing and clapping. And like, we made politics fun, you know, like we had this <laughs> experience. There was like a DJ in the back playing music. <laughs> and like, it was just such a cool event. And we were live streaming it out, you know? And so it's like, it was one of those moments where like, you just, you saw like, you can do this stuff, guys. Like anybody can just get a few people together that feel about a certain way or think a certain way. And like, if you all start like working together, you could do anything. Um, ah, the Margaret Mead had his quote says, uh, don't underestimate like what a small, uh, something about like small groups, the, the ability to change the world. It's the only thing that ever has, you know, and I, huh. I I'm, par I'm, I'm super paraphrasing that. I, I wish I had it a hundred percent. Um, but it just takes a few people to start like something really special, right? Mm -hmm. Cause two people become four and four people become eight and eight become 16. And that's how, you know, like 30 steps from that, you're at a billion. And I don't think we're gonna need a billion people, you know, in this movement or whatever, but learning that, like learning that we could connect the community and we impacted the election that year. Yeah. Like, we impacted the election that year, right? Like we helped people get elected. We helped younger people get elected. We turned out the vote. Right. Like more young people turned out in that election than had ever turned out in like Sarasota elections. Um, wow. Like we just did cool shit, you know. Uh -huh. And so you start seeing like, oh, the levers of the world can be pulled by anyone. Right. And they don't show you how to pull these levers in school. They show you how to memorize shit and how to like pass tests. Mm -hmm. but the, the real world works by interacting with people and again, sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. I would just go to City Hall and show up with a camera. Like I did that for months. I never published any of that video, but you know what? Everyone in that room was looking like, who the fuck is this guy? Everyone in the room was like, who's the guy? Who's the new guy in the back with the camera? You know, there was, <clears throat> there's another big uh, development project here called the Sarasota Bay. And um, there was this whole Bayfront redevelopment project. And early on, I lived like right across the street from where some of this stuff was going to be taking place. And I was like super interested to see because I had already done the Sarasota Underground thing. And I was like, we're going to cover this Bayfront project. And so again, I started and all their meetings were public. So again, I started showing up at all their meetings with my camera. Like I would just record wow. shit. And then I put these videos together and I would tell the community about what was going on at these events. Yeah. And the community loved it because they're not going to show up to City Hall. They're not going to do these things. Um, and so I just kind of got obsessed with trying to figure out how do you tell the story of the things that are happening um, mm. behind the scenes and how do you connect these dots in ways that are bigger than might immediately be obvious. Um, and through some of that, like I got into the web or the WordPress stuff. So mm. during uh, around that same time, actually a little bit before the Sarasota Underground thing, I had learned the website stuff and I was trying to, like I started a WordPress group. I didn't start a WordPress group. I inherited a WordPress group and kind of made it my own. Um, and so I started learning again. I have these powerful tools that allow me to make money on the internet. And now I'm seeing how you can use those tools to impact the real world in a meaningful way. People need to know, mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that's what drives me is to like, how do you organize folks around specific causes? How do you empower other folks to do things? And obviously we don't have like a city hall that we can go and like do a thing and there's no political elections inside the web flow space, but the same principles of organization and creating excitement come through and things like that open house event that we did, like 
clone comp. You know, I don't know if you've heard about clone comp the last two years, which is the biggest Webflow hackathon. Every summer we have hundreds and hundreds of people who spend tens of dozens of hours, you know, building for prizes at the end of the weekend, you know, and it's like, they're fun. And we want to do more of this. We want to do in-person events. We want to host like little mini conferences. If you look at the world of WordPress, the biggest WordPress conferences are not hosted by WordPress. They're hosted by the community. And I would love to see a time in the world of Webflow where that's happening as well, where, you know, Webflow still could have their big no code comp, but I think regionally it'd be cool to see, you know, Southwest little mini comp, or here's a one day little thing over here, or here's, you know, meetup groups all the time, bing, 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 just all over. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, it's what led me to apply to the head of community job. I, almost three years ago now, I applied to head of community at Webflow because I wanted to take all that knowledge of learning how to build in the web, the power of using this tool and the power of learning how to drive things in a community to like a next level. And I didn't get that job, which I'm, I'm okay with now because it landed me where I'm at. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to do that stuff. I, I feel called inside to like give this knowledge away to as many people as possible and then to organize events that draw attention to that, which again, amplifies goal number one, right? Yeah. So goal number one is teach people about this skill. Goal number two is be as loud as possible so that you can teach more people about the skill. <laughs> and that's kind of like the loop I'm trying to build. I, I think that there's definitely, if you're just going into it and all of a sudden you see like a hackathon and you don't really know much about it, there's definitely a level of intimidation of like mm -hmm. oh my gosh what if I like I, I'm definitely one of those people that I don't like playing games at parties because I'm afraid mm -hmm. that I'm gonna like uh not from alcohol but just like from nerves like blackout when they tell me the instructions and then the game is gonna start and then I'm gonna like totally ruin it because I don't know the instructions <laughs> so I'm one of those people but like if, if somebody just sees like a hackathon uh they might be really intimidated and what I notice, at least for myself, is I just want somebody to talk to me. I just mm -hmm. want to let somebody to uh, just hang out and just tell me in human terms um, what this is, what it means, uh, what I could do with it and all of that kind of stuff. And I think once you have that conversation and you even start making friends who can ask questions and stuff like that, then that leads you to some of the stuff that might be intimidating yeah, like a couple months ago, but now you're like, oh, I'm so excited. It's on Saturday. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah but that's how we that's how we started, right? We start with little yeah. meetups. You start, you know, doing small things. Um, yeah, I mean, some of our meetups, you'd only get like three or four people to show up, and you'd be like, oh shit, you spent all this time, you know, preparing as like three or four people. But then you think like, oh no, three or four people came out to be a part of this, so like you have to respect their time too, and you would just do the event. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. You just something inside me pulls to want to do that, to just try to bring people together for that cause. Yeah. So you were talking about how your family moved from from Puerto Rico to Ohio. And I, I remember uh, reading something that you wrote about um, your your dad's uh, childhood and like where he grew up and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And how you you went there and you were like, wow, I didn't I didn't expect to see this house. I like what was his his childhood like? And I know that's like a total like left turn from what we're talking about. Um, but I, I was just curious about um, you said that, like, it was kind of a tough place to grow up. And I don't know, just 
curious a little bit more about that time in your life. Yeah. Um, uh, I never knew we didn't have what we needed, you know, like we know, like when you're a kid or you're in a place, like you never, like, like you don't know your circumstances are different. Cause that's what, you know, you know? Yeah. Um, and my parents did an amazing job with what they have. Like I hope to one day be half as good parents to my kids as they were to me. Um, but yeah, they, they came from a world where like, they didn't, they didn't know a lot. You know, my dad mm-hmm. was a, a farmer in Puerto Rico. <laughs> like they had literally tells me stories about going, having to go like, you know, milk the cows and pick the eggs and, you know, herd the sheep and all that shit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dad. Yeah, whatever. You know, and no running water. They had to go down to the creek to get water. And, you know, like all these little stories that you like, you know, you, you hear everyone make fun of, like you had to walk to school uphill in the snow both ways kind of thing, you know? And so you dismiss some of that. And then I remember going on these trips and then we would go to the place and you're just like, oh, this, this, like, this is it. And even then as a, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, whatever, you, you just, you don't, you don't appreciate, you don't understand. It still doesn't click. It was only yeah. till a lot later that I saw what kind of thing it was for them to leave that and somehow get to the States and somehow give us opportunities to where I can be where I'm at now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I don't ever like, we were never poor. You know, we were never like, but I got free lunch at school and we never like we had to buy our clothes on layaway going like getting our stuff for school. Um, we lived in a not so great neighborhood. You know, it wasn't terrible, but it was like a block away from terrible. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just creates it. It, it probably is what makes me as resilient as I am a lot of ways. Um yeah, I used to get beat up, <laughs> not used to like, like it happened a lot, but uh, I got beat up a few times at the park across the street from our house. Uh, my bike was stolen, like, like literally my bike was stolen from me in the middle, like in the middle of my fucking front yard, you know, some kids came up and asked if they could use the phone. I go to grab the phone and my brother and a couple other guys standing there. And when I do that, they just grab the bike and run, you know, it's like one time we we're on the basketball court and some kid starts popping off about my mom and of course i'm a smart mouth little smart ass and you know i say something stupid and next thing you know there's like five kids just kicking my ass on the basketball court you know um mm-hmm. let's beat the little white boy you know catch a little white boy except for Jonas Blanco, so what equals, like, <laughs> you know and it's like but it was wild and this was the neighborhood and you know you go to school and you try to your parents try to keep you away from that and they did a really good job of keeping me disciplined and like i probably could have ended up in a lot of other ways if i didn't have such good parents you know um but i i don't know that i regret any of that like i i I don't know that i would have wanted to be from a family with more means i see how a lot of people that come from those families like they're not survivors in the world you Mm. know like they take a lot of things for granted um they don't really understand sometimes like what it takes to to just make it you know um and so i've always had that appreciation i've always had a respect for like breaking into places again going to these events and feeling like the outsider because you know like maybe i'm not dressed up the way they are right and i don't really think people look at you weird like there's just you know it's just it's tough dealing with that shit but that's what like gets you through 
you know, those are the things that like, if you can overcome those things, if you can overcome a lot of that stuff. And I don't want to like make it seem like I had a, sh- a shitty world either. You know, like I got a lot of opportunities. My parents were also very resourceful. And so even though they didn't have like all the money, they found ways to give us opportunities. You know, mm-hmm. they found ways to make sure that we never saw ourselves as a victim. And we never thought like, oh, you know, like you're just, this is your stat. This is what you're relegated to because this is what you are. You know, it was always, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Like it was always, you can do this. You can change it. You can get better. And then at a certain point, my dad started a business and, you know, he, they, they did, they started doing a little better. And like, as we got a little older, things, you know, get a little better, but, but not a lot, you know, not, not, not a lot. And early on, like if I wanted something extra, go buy it. Right. If I wanted the new shoes, I had to go get them. You know, mm-hmm. we can get the Kmart shoes or we can get the, the Schottensteins, which is like the value city thing. I don't know if any, it's like some obscure brand, but it's like, it's like the value city. It's like the stuff from the department stores that, you know, they can't sell from two years ago. Now you can get it over here kind of thing. And that's where we would go shop for our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I wanted the Nikes, if I wanted to go to the mall and get like something hot, I had to come up with that. And so mm-hmm. I was working from 11. Like I had my own paper out when I was 11 years old. Um, I was helping my parents with their paper route before that because my parents needed extra money. So they had a huge paper route. Mm. And so before both my mom and dad would go work full days of school, we would be up at like four in the morning delivering papers. Um, and it snows in Ohio. It's gross <laughs> in Ohio. Like it's not fun to be trudging from yard to yard. Um, and we would take the, 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 we didn't have like waterproof boots. We'd take the bags uh, that you would stuff the newspapers in. So the newspapers wouldn't get wet. And we'd wear those as socks. Like we'd have a couple of those layers as socks under our shoes. So that, you know, like if the water got into your shoes, your feet wouldn't get super wet and that you wouldn't freeze, you know? And like, um, they make that stuff makes you hard. It made me appreciate what it took to build and what it takes to make money and what it makes to like, what it, what it means to like respect and appreciate money and opportunity. And it makes mm-hmm. you hungry, you know, it makes you hungry to not want that anymore. Um, and that pushes, you know, that pushes and pushes and pushes and money has been the only thing in my life that's ever told me no. Hmm. And I work to remove that possibility. Like I don't work because I want to make money. I don't work like because I'm chasing money, right? I'm working so that I no longer have to hear no when I want to try something or experiment with something or play with an idea that I have, because there's been so many times where I've had an idea and I've wanted to like build it or do something, but I don't have the means. I don't have the resources. I don't have like any way of actually bringing that to life. And then a few years later, you see it alive and you're like, fuck, Mm. you know, and you just knew like that's happened numerous times. And like, I just, that's what drove me to get to a place where I was like, I don't want that to happen anymore. I don't want to be told no by money. If physics tells me no, okay, that's a <laughs> break, you know, like if the law tells you no, okay, well, th- those are laws that we kind of have to respect at a certain level, you know, but like when money tells you no, that's a fucking hard pill to swallow, mm-hmm. especially when you see so much of it floating around everywhere and you see, you know, so it's just like, I wanted to remove that barrier to myself. And now I want to remove that barrier for as many other people as possible, right? This mm-hmm. is why and, and Joe feels very strongly the same way. This is why we don't charge for anything that we do yet. Like, this is why we just give it away because it's like, no need to nickel and dime on this stuff. Like just send it and let's see how many people can we help, you know? Um, and I'm sure that'll pay dividends at, at some time, right? Like we know that we're, we're not like trying to keep track and say, okay, well, we put this much out. So we expect this much in, mm. you know, like 
we're not even like it's not even a thought to us mm-hmm. um and i think that that's unique that we're both kind of aligned in those things i think part of that is what drew me to him and him mm-hmm. to me like, i think i think that's why we connected and um i don't know it, it just it's a hell of a motivation coming from some of that and seeing some of that and not wanting to be back in that place. Um, yeah. So I'll leave it at that. Uh. Um, did your parents ever talk to you about their thoughts before they moved to the, to the mainland States? Um, not a lot. My, my dad came for school um, mm-hmm. he was, he was trying to finish a degree at Ohio, at Ohio state. He left, uh, the university of Puerto Rico, uh, to come to the state. This episode is brought to you by Podwork, which is, um, me. <laughs> so the idea of Podwork is to stop stressing about your content schedule and let guests come to you. And so it is a website for podcasts and guests to connect and make that introduction a little bit easier and as a guest open a door to some of your favorite podcasts to make an easier introduction and hopefully get on their podcast and actually get to meet them. So I've been building this site for the past few months and I'd like to invite some people who may be listening to this to try it out completely for free and free access forever. And in the checkout, you can use the promo code GDL podcast to sign up as either a guest or a podcast. And you can sign up on www.podwork.io. And all I ask is that you just find a way to reach out to me and let me know how it goes. Let me know what you think um, and if you have any feedback. So that's all for me and back to the episode. My my mom was like... uh the rich girl, if you can call it that in Puerto Rico and <laughs> Guayama. Um, and they met in college and they wanted a better life. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, we went on a trip back to Puerto Rico a couple years ago and um, it's just still so hard to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to see. And I, I, I was more appreciative in that moment than ever for them just coming. Like, I, I don't really know what the impetus was other than they wanted out to do something they wanted to give us opportunities and they wanted to give themselves opportunities i think you know they wanted to finish school and and take a swing at just being explorers right everyone wants to explore and i did the same thing i left as soon as i got old enough i left ohio mm-hmm. so maybe it's somewhere deep down like that's just a, <laughs> that's a, like maybe i maybe if we were born 1500 years ago i would have jumped on a ship on some seaport and never come back you know yeah. maybe that's just ingrained in like that human exploratory spirit and i think part of that is in my dad, you know, I think that's that partly just let's try something new. Like, why not go see what you could do? And um, I should probably thank him more often than I do for for that. Um, it seems like a, a lot of people, um, if they haven't had that experience um, and they kind of lived kind of a, a softer, more insulated life uh it seems a lot more like they just really don't know what they don't know they don't know that these things that they are given are so um special and and for a lot of the times rare and I think that I felt that a lot um and it wasn't until I went to college and I started meeting other people that really like had it rough um and in hearing about that 
and then I I met my my boyfriend who is uh who came here from Serbia and he didn't um he he had never actually even been to the US before he came here uh and so he was just going to the school this country that he had knew very little about and actually when he was a child like we actually bombed him um so like yeah, yeah there was that and so like it was like a whole thing just listening to him talk about that listening like to what it was like to have like your country fall apart and like having to go through that and everything like that and so that was kind of the first real introduction I had to like immigrant mentality which is stronger than <laughs> most states of mind I think yeah and it, it, it was crazy and just listening to him talk and everything like that like I I don't know I I, I started like working a lot more <laughs> and like there was actually a time period where um I was I don't know I was like working as a maid and like babysitting all the time and sometimes I'd work like like a whole bunch of shifts in a day and then come home and try to do school and like go to bed at like one in the morning or two in the morning and then wake up and do it all over again and like it does suck because sometimes you're, you're treated like shit I remember there was a time when I was really nervous I didn't know what to do about life and college and I I was in a major that I didn't really think I wanted to do and I was babysitting and uh this mom came home and she looked at me with her kids and she told me to leave the room and go find something to clean. <laughs> wow. And, and there would be other be other times where like I would be like a lot of times I would be a maid and I would like do people's laundry all day and then go to the next house and like do all their dishes and all of that kind of stuff. And um, like I remember there was a time period where I was like, am I going to ever get out of this? <laughs> and I was like in there their um laundry closet and like I just couldn't be around anybody for like 10 minutes and I was just like falling apart in this laundry closet by myself yeah and um so at that time period I think I was like living on like $300 a week or something like that and uh, which is so much more than so many other people but um it was rough because you don't like see a way out and then when you actually do find this thing you do find things that you're interested in it's like it means so much more <laughs> yeah yeah i when that long ago i was living off 300 bucks a week you know like i when i um when i moved back to florida like we didn't make much money for a long time and there were even when i moved back to like after the divorce and everything I think there was a year where I made like $15,000 and then the next year I made like 17 or 19, you know, and I was 27 at the time. I had just come from making like six figure incomes, wearing suits and ties and schmoozing with congressmen, you know? Um, and so it's like this weird roller coaster because you come up from, you know, not much, not much. You hit this cool opportunity, you get a glimpse. Like, yo, what is that up there? Maybe I can catch that one day, <laughs> you know? And you get this little glimpse of this like ivory tower that like, shit, do I, maybe could I, could I, you know, maybe not at the top, like somewhere in the middle, could I be up in that thing? And then you get a little of that and you're like, whoa, this is cool. And then your life falls apart and you're back in your mom's basement. You're like, God damn, what the fuck did I, you know, I thought I ruined that. Like I was, I was climbing this ladder. 
And that's mm-hmm. when I decided like, fuck climbing a ladder, let's build a ladder, mm. you know? Um, and I, and I figured that would be hard. And it, it was, it's it like when I moved, thank God, this guy had a spare bedroom and he let me live there for like a year rent free wow. when I moved back to Florida. Um, yeah, just one of the most generous things anybody's ever done for me. Um, how'd you know this guy? from before he's a friend from um yeah from from my prior stint in florida so i had had some time in florida from like 2004 to i think 2009 and that's when i had met him that's you know from that's when i got married that's like that was the insurance days etc and then 2008 when the economy collapsed early 2009 like that's when i ended up back in columbus um and so i had him, him as a friend and he's one of the ones that i told you they put we put 4,000 bucks together. And so we bought that text messaging software and he gave me a place to stay. He's like, Hey, come stay with me for a little bit. Let's see if we can get this off the ground. Um, and yeah, one day I probably owe that guy a really fat check. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's interesting. Like the people that give you a chance and to them, they don't really see it as a big deal, but it means the world to you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, I remember eating because uh, I didn't have money for groceries. And I'm literally just like feeling like I'm intruding in this guy's house. <laughs> but um, yeah, he had like a little bit of peanut butter and jelly and there was some stale bread. And I figured uh, if you toast it, it'll be all right. <laughs> you know, <So> I toasted <laughs> it and ate like stale peanut butter and jelly. And that was like a meal. And I just remember like I wrote about it. Um, I, there's an article on my blog called I, I Might Be uh, broke, but I won't be broken. Um, mm-hmm. and that's really what helped me so much too, is blogging. Like blogging was my therapy. And so at the same time is when I started experimenting with the web and I started experimenting with publishing my thoughts and I, you know, like I start sharing ideas. Um, and somehow I schmoozed my way into this little co-working space and they gave me a little place where I could set up and there was a little studio space in there and in between their shoots, they, they once in a while would let me come and, and shoot a little bit, you know? And, um, so I started making videos and then one of those videos goes viral. And then that leads me to get invited to this, uh, political conference in Washington, DC. And that's when I fell in love with media, you mm-hmm. know, being on radio row for three, um, three hours, uh, you know, sitting right next to the XM radio booth. I was like, yo, what is this? This is, you know, this is cool. <laughs> So I started a podcast after that, like I came home and I started a podcast and I started experimenting with media and I started to see like within a couple months, I was killing it. Like I was doing more, I did a statistical traffic analysis of my website versus like all the top 10 media companies in Sarasota. And I was like number three on the list for amount of traffic and like just engagement. And I was like, how is this happening? How is one guy like me going up against, and, and I threw out that process like I, I i couldn't figure out how to make money off of this like monetizing your online creativity is not easy mm-hmm. and so i'm doing all this blogging i'm on the front page of the huffington post i'm contributing to elite daily i'm the the top five article on medium.com for like four months in a row you know like wow. crazy traffic i'm talking about millions of views a month kind of thing and i couldn't figure out how to monetize it like other than you know throwing ads up there but i fucking hate advertising mm-hmm. and so i didn't want to add i didn't want to like just throw random ads up there. And, uh, I didn't know how to build a membership site, so I couldn't like throw a subscription thing together. And e-commerce again was 
complicated for a guy who didn't know tech, tech at the times, like there weren't a lot of options like there are now, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. about a decade ago, at least, um, well, not a decade, maybe like eight years. Um, and so that started getting me thinking about how is this happening? How are all these other companies monetizing my shit? Cause I go to the Huffington post and I'd see my article there and then I'd see ads all over it. And I'm like, so they're monetizing it and I'm getting traffic back to my website, but that doesn't give me shit. Yeah. And so I started thinking about how do you, you know, like turn this stuff into money. And that's what led to working with the startup stuff. That's what led to, we ended up getting some funding and found a little software team. And we started building some tools that we thought um, were going to be kind of disruptive in that space. And I think we were a little ahead of time. Uh, the team wasn't as good as they told me they were. Uh, mm -hmm. And the project was a lot more complex than I had originally given it credit for. But that kicked me into tech that, you know, beyond the text marketing stuff, beyond just building websites, this desire to figure out how to turn all of this attention I was generating into something more meaningful for me. Because like when the Huffington Post reached out, they're like, hey, would you like to be a contributor? I like started crying. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just a dude blogging. <laughs> like, I'm just a guy on the oh. internet blogging. What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden I had contributor access at Huffington Post. And I'm like, what? And this is before having like, this is again, eight years ago, nine years. This was in the heyday of the Huffington Post, you know? Um, and, but I was so like it, this, the, the, the disparity between like all of this traffic, all these eyeballs, all of this engagement, but I like, I thought I had made it, but then like my bank account was still empty. Mm. And I'm like, how, how does that work? Why is it that the folks who are doing the creative stuff that power these machines are not the ones being paid. And so that drove me into like software world and building and tinkering. And on the trying to launch that, we were like, we're gonna change the way local media works was our first experiment with that software building, which is what led to the Sarasota Underground, which is why we were willing to fund some of those initiatives before where I said we weren't charging for these events or when we did that town hall, it's because we were experimenting with our software. We were experimenting with how can you connect a community using tools like this that don't exist right now. And so it was our pilot study, you know, Sarasota Underground was supposed to be a pilot for this other thing that we were building, <clears throat> but the software never came to life. Like we never, never fully built it. It was too complicated. We were trying to build the CMS. We were trying to build the backend and the engagement tools. It was just too much to try to build for a small team. Mm. Um, but through doing that, I got exposed to the world and I started thinking, and then I was like, okay, well, maybe you can't monetize your creativity, but you can monetize your, you know, like your your creative skill set, right? You can start selling websites, you can start doing consulting, you can start, you know, doing video work for people. And so then that's when I got really into the multimedia thing and started building and building and building. And then, you know, like, lots of other things happened between then and now, but I'm still on that mission, by the way, we're still building some of those tools, mm -hmm. like, except for we don't want to build the whole back end now. Like, maybe we just want to build some of those pieces that plug into Webflow and let Webflow do some of that. And we're just going to build some of these cool toys. And so, again, a lot of these things and a lot of this deep stuff uh, is what led me to Joe. Like Joe and I, before I started working there, uh, developed a really strong uh, uh, relationship, just kind of slacking back and forth. You know, we, yeah. were, in, we were in a shared Slack channel. Uh, we had already met at No Code Comp. I did something like this where I just started interviewing people randomly. Like all the people I met at No Code Comp, I was like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. Do you mind? You want to do an interview? And I never ended up publishing most of those episodes. <laughs> But it got me like great conversations with all these different folks. And through those conversations, through continuing to chat with Joe, through him seeing like the stuff I was working on, the Sarasota Underground stuff, the live stream, the multimedia stuff, all that stuff, and the community building stuff was, 
you know, what I think made that such an appealing partnership because he doesn't, he, that's not him. You know, he's like the business guy. He likes to sell. He likes to build. He likes to, you know, create in his way, but mm -hmm. he doesn't necessarily, he's not like the community organizer guy, you know? And so that's, we make a great team in that regard. Um, and again, it just goes back to, I like to tinker. And I joke around, there's this line is like a, in, in a little manuscript I was working on. And it's talking about dropping out of design school because I no longer wanted to design things. I wanted to design systems for how people work, right? Mm. Like I, I didn't, I no longer, that's why like, if you look on my Twitter profile, it says the world is my canvas, right? I'm an artist, but I don't do a lot of like real world art anymore. I do some. But what I see is the actual canvas is like, can you fundamentally change some of these incentive structures around how we distribute information, how we connect with each other, how we interact and share the value of this activity that we generate online, rather than building that activity and paying for the Facebooks of the world and the Twitters of the world and the whatever, you know, like whoever, the Google, right? Like those tools are great, but what if you could shift the incentives? What if you could build some interesting communities? And we're seeing like a lot of this percolate right now. So I feel like five years ago, we were way ahead of this curve. Um, and now it's just the, now it's what people, everyone's trying to do. So it's kind of cool. Cause now we don't have to educate people back then. We had to educate people like, why are you doing this? Why is it important? So now that, that part's gone. Um, and there's just, again, there's a, a cool community brewing around this that creates an amazing playground to experiment with that type of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. and that's what gets me excited. That's the stuff most people don't see. Everyone sees the, the fin suite stuff. They see the agency stuff and they see the things we do in the community, but if people could see like the other, like where the tentacles are reaching, you know, yeah. like it'll be super cool. And you will over the next year or two, like as we roll all these things out and as we kind of um, really make the switch from agency into products, um, it's going to get, yeah, it's going to get real interesting. What do you mean by products? <laughs> um, it's kind of like a, a broad term. Yeah. You know, like, um, attributes would technically be a mm. product or the FinSuite extension would be a product. Mm, gotcha. Um, so at, rather than a service. So that's what I mean. Like, so instead of, um, like just selling time, like agency services, uh, we still want like the agency will continue to grow that that's cool. Like, you know, that's on that side. Uh, what I was kind of tasked with is like on the community side and then the products is kind of like in between there. And those are the tools we, we will use on either the community or the agency side. You know, so um, that's what we mean by products is like digital products and um, things that might make, you know, Webflow easier to use. So you're not going to get more than that out of me <laughs> <laughs> about the future products. Just FYI. <laughs> um, the, moving back a little bit, I remember uh I found this video a long time ago. You were on a panel and, and people were talking to you about things that you were concerned about uh, in the future. And um, when you talk about like this dependency on uh, bigger things, um, it reminded me of when you said that one of the biggest concerns is pretty much like the internet and, and how much freedom people have and, and how many things are really gate kept by these other organizations when the internet is kind of just like it's the internet you, you should just mm -hmm. be able to make things it's like the whole point why are people like telling you uh you can only do it through us or something like that and i was just curious that was a couple of years ago but 
do you still still feel that way and and are you more or less concerned now i'm probably more concerned because now we're mm -hmm. actually seeing what they were up to mm. you know before like people had ideas and there was like the early canaries in the coal mines that were shouting about you know how predatory some of these activities were but now we all know yeah you know, now we know that we've all been turned into the most uh precious commodity of all, which is like the information technology. Um, actually, one of the talks that I gave at WordCamp um, back in 2015 was called um, the future of sales, the future of sales, understanding information as a currency. Mm. Um, and it was around this whole idea of what these people are doing with your information to turn that attention into their advertising dollars. And so my question was always, how can you disrupt that business model? advertising since the beginning of time has essentially been unchanged, right? It's build the biggest audience you can, and then rent that audience to others for a fee. But everyone knows in an economic standpoint, you rent depreciating assets and you own appreciating assets. An mm -hmm. audience should be an appreciating asset, which means you don't want to rent your audience, right? Because then you become holding to the landlord. You want to own that audience. And so, and I don't mean own them in like some, you know, dominant way. I just mean that you want to have control over how you communicate and engage with those folks. Right. And so if you're on Facebook, Facebook did the old switcheroo early on with their pages. Facebook got everyone to invest all this money as businesses into their Facebook pages. And the organic reach was amazing. And it became a good source of where businesses were interacting with their audience. They could build an audience there. Right. And then one day Facebook's like, no, nah, fuck you guys. Now you have to pay to reach that audience. Right. And so they did the whole whoop, pull the, the rug out from under us. Yeah. And people had invested millions and millions of dollars into building these audiences. And so now guess what? You got to, you're going to pay, right? You're, 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 you're locked. And so, yeah, it just, and, and, and this stuff will continue to happen um, until we start to say, no, we require it to be different. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's what leads to this idea of, can you change the fundamental, like, the fundamental building blocks of what that advertising is, because those incentives are what leads us to so many other problems. The, like the incentives in advertising are what leads to a lot of the misinformation that we're seeing, which leads to a lot of the biased news coverage we're seeing because they're just kind of pandering to their echo chambers because those are the ones that are kind of paying their bills. And then they need those eyeballs to attract the advertisers, which means they need to get more sensational and more sensational over time. And they need to get more and more directed towards a smaller group of people who will then, you know, like, again, pay to support their efforts, which give them enough eyeballs to then attract maybe the advertisers. But the advertisers are now all going to Facebook or Google or Twitter. So nobody's going to go to a local news site to advertise anymore. It's just mm -hmm. not relevant. And so to stay alive, that local news organization has to, again, skew their coverage to make sure they appeal to the folks that were, are going to pay. And that's how everything's going right now. Mm -hmm. And so can you play with those incentives somehow? What if you turn the what if you turn the audience into the advertising blocks and the distribution came based on the quality of engagement and the quality of contributions and kind of some of the stuff that's happening in this in this ecosystem, right? So like, can you give people tools to become their own media companies as small entities, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what does the chamber of commerce look like in a modern world? Like, I don't know if you're familiar with what a chamber of commerce is, but essentially it's a group of businesses that get together, they put funds into a, uh, into a pot, a shared pot, and then that organization has people that go and lobby to city hall or to the county commission or sometimes up to the state capital to, present the interests of these businesses. And 
there's nothing like necessarily evil about that unless those, you know, intents are nefarious, but really we've lost sight of that in the creative world, that those arrangements are really valuable, that the arrangements of people getting together of like mind and funding things individually for themselves that allow some type of organization to go and do things on their behalf. Like that's a thing that's missing. If you listen, um, I'd encourage anyone to listen to Jerron Lanier. Um, hmm. He, he wrote a book called Who Owns the Future? And it talks a lot about this stuff. Jaron Lanier is a old OG uh, Silicon Valley guy, uh, deep into VR, um, did a lot of stuff in early tech and is now kind of warning about where this is headed. He's like one of the early Silicon Valley guys that has been talking about this for a while. Um, but he talks about these intermediary organizations that need to be built, mm. right, to reinstall trust because the media's lost it, most the government institutions have lost it. Well, how are you gonna reinstitute that? Well, you have to recreate these little communities and these little nodes that somehow link together and create a new incentive structure between them to value the information they share and incentivize quality sharing rather than incentivizing the most uh, just polarizing or mm. the thing that stirs everyone up the most. Right. And so that's where you have to start fiddling with those incentives. And part of that requires having a place you can publish, right? Mm -hmm. A place you can own the audience. Maybe you want to put a subscription or a membership service around that. Right. So that's a big part of that is having a place where that audience can live. And then beyond that, the people who are building that needs to need tools that are non-technical that allow them to easily then participate in that game. This is why Facebook became more popular than WordPress because WordPress was out before Facebook and WordPress is infinitely more powerful than, Word, uh, than Facebook uh, from a technological standpoint. The problem is WordPress has a huge technical learning curve, whereas Facebook, you just go and say, post video, post mm -hmm. picture, it's over, right? And so you don't have to worry about standing up servers and doing all this other stuff and getting a theme and styling your, you don't know, just here. And they all look the same and it's, you know, there's some uniformity and, um, and so there was a value proposition there where they made that easy. And what mm -hmm. I see now is another value proposition where this WordPress thing, this web thing, this building on the web thing is also being made easier by Webflow and others in the space. And so how much lower now can we take their piece of that technical curve and shrink it even further to give people the tools they need to build these websites, these hubs, these things that then become these intermediary companies where again, you can build trust. Mm -hmm. Right. In the, in the exchange of information. Um, and then you, you, you just, and you're seeing this everywhere, like these little nodes, these little communities, these little micro communities, and they're becoming the experts in whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know, just finding ways, like I'm, I'm mesmerized by the idea that you could impact those incentive structures somehow that you mm -hmm. could build tools that people would play with. Um, cause think about the solutions now, like a Patreon or a Substack. you know, they're just not, they're not full of the answers. They're still kind of the same thing. They're they're gated, they're limited. You don't have visual design control. You don't have any of this other stuff, yeah. right? So, you know, what does this look like two years from now where maybe you could have some of that same incentive structures that power Patreon or Substack, but controlled and owned and managed by a small group of people that, you know, just build this thing together. And I think if you change that, like imagine if instead of people building a Facebook group, they're building a shared web property that they all own together. Now Facebook can't turn that off. Yeah. You know, like that's just us. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, that's why I, that's a, literally, I spend a ridiculous amount of time thinking about 
what do those incentive structures look like around aggregating large audiences and changing the way they exchange information and value amongst each other so that you can cut out the middlemen, right? Mm -hmm. So that the money in advertising or the money in publishing goes to the creators of the content, not to the agents and the middlemen and the publishing platforms themselves, right? And if you could shift that incentive, you change, you change the entire game, right? Now you make it easier for the creators to come in and monetize that output, to monetize their creative capital. And when you start this was the fundamental shift and like what made America unique from any country that ever came before it was that you could alienate your labor, but you were also, um, you could, you could keep the fruits of your labor, right? So whatever you farm, that was yours. Uh, mm -hmm. before, if you farm something, it was the government's, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe you'd get a, like a small taste, but that's what the web is now. That's the same proposition. The web offers is this idea that you can go build and then you can own the fruits of that labor. Right. And we should do that. We should incentivize people when you let people own those things, when, like when you own, let people own their creative output and you give them tools to turn that creative output, going back to your point before about uh, talent being distributed and, you know, other people being able to do this stuff, just there being hurdles in the way, like when you remove those hurdles and you give them tools to do those things, like you make them super powerful, like you make them unstoppable. And that's, I think what most people need. And it's like, I didn't know, just like when I got my first uh, big boy job at the insurance agency and I had to go get a suit <laughs> and literally I, I didn't have a suit. We went to Walmart and picked some things out. My mom bought me these like $10 ties. It was ugly shit, but whatever. I had a suit, um, but it opened the door. It showed mm -hmm. me a world that I never even like, <sighs> I was now in a world where almost everybody made a six figure income. Wow. Growing up, I did not know a single person. Like I literally couldn't count. Like I couldn't even, there's maybe one or two people that I could think maybe had that kind of like, it just wasn't a level. And, and, and the six figures was on the low end of this new world that I was just stepping into. And I'm like, I don't belong here. You know, you don't talk, talk about imposter syndrome. Like I had this video gig where um, there's this thing called the CEO forum. And early morning breakfast, I landed this again through Sarasota Underground, so some of my multimedia work, but they needed somebody to record their, their talks. And they would have these talks every month. They'd bring somebody in from around the country and do like this real impactful, like, you know, hour long breakfast thing. And they had these, and I'm in the back. And usually again, I'm, I'm not showing up in suit because I'm, I'm just a regular dude. And you talk about imposter syndrome to know that like you're more capable than like you listen to them talking, you're like, what the fuck are you even talking about here? Like, that's not like, are you what? How much did you pay this schmuck to come? To and then you hear the guys sitting in the suits and the tables clinking their little. And then you hear them ask these dumbass questions. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I'm the idiot in the back of the room. Right. I'm the schmuck. I'm the guy they look at like, what the fuck is this guy? Mm. It's like and, and it just. Every ounce of me wants to somehow break that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's this new world forming and I, I worry about the divide and it's like, can you build a bridge to gap that divide, you mm -hmm. know, between what's coming and, and what is and ah, shit, I just. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where else to go from there. <laughs> it's just, I, it's I, tough. I definitely remember um, uh, at, at one point uh, the whole idea of like something that you always wanted like an experience you've always wanted to have um a lot of my friends would be like oh like 
to be on Ellen would be like the coolest thing ever or like to be on TV like being on TV is like a thing like a long time ago people were like um I don't know like I've been on TV like I'm so cool and now like I didn't even watch the Super Bowl because I don't have a TV (laughs) Mm. and if somebody was on TV I'd be like okay or like oh what where is that on YouTube or like how does that how does that work and and like growing up uh the idea of like a news channel being popular and being on TV uh, and being on YouTube was like, there's like, what, what did they get? Like 300 views? Like what? That's not a thing. And, yeah. and now like people have their own autonomy to go out and, and do these things. And you know, what you said about um, seeing, not really seeing like, examples of of these people that that like have so much and and trying to feel like you belong in in that space like there's definitely times where like people uh that I meet I'm like I want like who who did I trick them to uh like how did I trick them to think that I like belong (laughs) and and other times like it it may even get get worse than that of um uh um like people are saying that I'm a nice person um but like am I just tricking them into thinking that I'm a nice person or like I don't understand why they're being this nice to me and all this kind of stuff it's definitely a weird thing that um it's it's hard to do a lot of things when you don't when you're not really sure of yourself in that situation and I've been there I think just in a different context yeah yeah I think we all deal with that as creators um that that imposter syndrome or that feeling like maybe you don't belong where you are or um maybe you're not good enough as the other people around you or whatever um but yeah I you just got to get over that at some point I still feel that I still feel that all the time you know, like mm-hmm. I look around at the folks that are on the fin suite team and I'm like, fuck, well, you know, like how'd I get here? You know? Um, but then I'm sure people look at me and they're like, how'd he get there? You know? Like, <laughs> like, like, and so I, you know, I don't know how to deal with that other than to say, like, you just don't let it own you, you know. Yeah. I I used to um I wrote an article once actually something like stop waiting for permission, you mm-hmm. know, and it was just a lot of people sitting around waiting for someone to like give them the go ahead to try something new. Um, whether it's because they're scared of failing or scared of looking stupid or, you know, like whatever it is. And so instead they just, all right, I'll stay safe over here, you know? Um, and I've never been that person. I've always been the, you know, like jump and then worry about whether the water's deep enough after, you know, and then uh, that doesn't mean you know, like I've, I've, hit bottom a couple of times, you know, <laughs> it's going to happen, <laughs> but every once in a while, you know, you get a nice little jump off the cliff. Um, and sometimes you just learn how to fly. Like, uh, uh, I don't know if you found it. There's a, the article, one of my, the one article that took off the one that landed me on the Huffington Post that got me access, whatever it's called a seven reasons why you'll never do anything amazing with your life. Wow. Um, and I wrote that article at a time where I wasn't sure what was going on. I had, um, I had had a little bit of success. 
I had moved out of this guy's bedroom that let me stay there for a year. Um, but my car got repossessed like a couple months later. Um, and that's a long story. It was the last thing I was holding on to from the divorce. Um, the car payment was like 450 bucks a month and I just couldn't, I couldn't make it. Um, and so the car get repossessed and it is like all these things start happening. Um, but I was also having this other stuff that was going crazy, you know, like the internet stuff was taking off and like I was getting clients and I had all these other things. And I was like, okay, you know, like just keep going, just find a way to like, you know, push through to the next thing. And I forgot what the initial prompt here was, but, um, just like most people sit around waiting for someone to tell them it's okay to step out and do it, you know, mm -hmm. to go out and just try something. And even while my world was falling to shit, I was like, I just, you just, there's gotta be something. I have it in me. Just like you said, I, I know it's in me. I may not know how to manifest this yet, but I'm just not going to give up. And I had already paid the ultimate price at that point. I had given up family and love and I had nothing like worldly because I had nothing. I had literally had nothing. Um, maybe like clothes and a computer. Um, but I was, again, I never like saw myself as a victim. This was just mm -hmm. the journey. This is like, these were just the things I had to do to get where I knew I was going. Right. I didn't know where, what that looked like yet. And I still don't know what it looks like yet. To me, it's just, it's forward and it's, you know, it's loopy loop, it's whatever, but it's just, and you just got to go. And I don't know how you train that in people. I don't know how you give that to people. I don't know how you like show people that kind of grit or resilience, but it's something that I think we do not lead to enough in our current society. I think we train people to like, um, kind of to be proud in some kind of victimhood, you know, mm -hmm. that like the world is like hard and well, because the world's hard, then you're oppressed. Not always, you know, it's like, and you just have to find ways to push through and like lots of things that just you deal with the world feel like people are out to get you, but it's not that, you know, like so often it's not anybody's actually out to get you. It's just that there's a, there's an infinite number of variables at play in every situation, mm -hmm. you know, and navigating that, finding your way through that and finding a way to be success, successful in spite of whatever it gets thrown in your way is I mean, that's what makes, that's what makes people great. You know, you either can get past that or, or not, you know, and I, I couldn't imagine going back to a regular job. I couldn't imagine somebody worrying about my time or telling me what I can and can't do, or, um, I'm 38 years old and I feel like I have full control of my life right now. Um, and I feel like I'm just getting started. I used to look at people that were 38 and be like, oh, that's so old. And now I'm like, holy shit, I'm just starting. <laughs> and, and it takes a long time to figure these things out. Like I, I envy anyone who learns these things earlier in life, um, which again is why I like to share as much as possible. But sometimes I'm like one of those people who I, I just have to learn by breaking things. And sometimes mm -hmm. those things you break are yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but that vulnerability and that willingness to just go out there time after time and, and try again, again, I, what, that's where, that's where great things come from in my mind. Like if you look at people who have accomplished amazing things, they've almost always had these types things in their world, in their path. Uh, and that doesn't mean I'm ever going to accomplish anything greater than I have, but I, I doubt we stop here. You know, mm -hmm. I, I doubt that this path that I'm on stops 
right at this moment, you know, uh, God forbid some crazy shit happens, but um, <laughs> I see a lot more, you know, I see a lot more potential. I I'm super hungry to, again, help build tools that meet me five years ago, eight years ago, and make it easier for me, for that person to get to where I am now, you know, mm -hmm. how do you find all these folks that feel disheveled in life that maybe feel like they don't, you know, they're not cut out for anything specific, but maybe have some creative skills and just don't know how to channel those. How can you help them? How can you find ways to like put tools into the hands of the people that are building these new communities? And can you fuck with those incentive structures? Mm -hmm. Like, can you fundamentally shift the incentive structures around publishing and advertising? And mm -hmm. if you can, the person who figures that out is going to tap into the holy grail of the internet. Like that is literally what the internet was always told to us it was supposed to be. This thing that connected us, this thing that freed society, this thing that created abundance of wealth. And it has done those things before a very limited number of people. Mm -hmm. And that's fundamentally because the incentives are tied around doing that. Mm -hmm. And so if you can break those incentives, but still replicate some of those structures, you could just empower a whole society of people to create. And I always ask the question, like, what would the American Revolution look like on the Internet? Right. The American Revolution was essentially people saying, you know, you know, no taxation without representation. Don't come get my shit. Right. Like we're in charge of ourselves as a sovereign nation. Right. Mm -hmm. Seeding off from Britain. What does that look like on the Internet when all the creators say we're going to free ourselves from these tyrannical platforms that are sucking all of our information and monetizing it so that we can somehow monetize it? Because it's very difficult for you to monetize your online uh, presence if somebody else is already doing that. Mm. And that's what these platforms do, which is why it's so hard for creators to monetize this, their intellectual output. But again, if you can play with those incentives, if you can create new tools, if you can create new toys, and I see Webflow doing that in tremendous ways. That's why I fell in love with Webflow because it made the stuff I was doing with WordPress a million times easier, made the performance was faster. The, the, the pages were better. Like it was just, everything was better. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's the iPhone without the apps. Mm -hmm. So what does that app store look like? What can those tools that make this toy more powerful look like that help people break free from those other incentives, those other incentive structures. And that's, that's a game that, that, you know, may take years to play. Um, but it's a fun one to, to have your, you know, like hat in the ring for, um, yeah. And that's it. I'm just super excited about where all that's headed. That's literally what drives me. Going back to that thing that you said about, um, uh, I don't know, going back to the, the confidence thing and, and uh, the point in your life where you were kind of feeling a little, I don't know, I don't know if the word is lost or, or, or what it is, but um, I remember at, at that point in, in my life where I was feeling kind of similar um, and uh, the the whole like victimhood mentality is like so easy to slip into uh and the, all the reasons why you can't do something is so easy um and i'm going to ask you this in a second but um if i if i were to be able to talk to somebody who was like in my situation at that point um i i would probably i don't know i'm torn between like slapping myself in the face and giving myself a hug <laughs> just trying to like shake myself back out of it and i think definitely the big the biggest thing is um uh like people i mean there's limits to this but pe people can't really make you a, a victim like you're not you can like 
go and do great things even if people have been shitty you in the shitty to you in the past and uh have done things that that did affect you you can still be great you can still go and do stuff and if if you have all of these reasons for why you can't do something like maybe just like write them down and try to figure out okay which one of these can i can i fix and okay so if confidence is like one of those things i would i would tell myself like hey okay what can you do to make yourself confident like what what do you need like are you feeling unhealthy like okay let's let's go fix that okay you did that cool next thing like can you make things that you're proud of and it's outside of you as a person like it's you doing something and you can look at it objectively and be like this is really cool i made this thing and so that's what i would say to myself if if i could give somebody who was in my same situation some advice um if you could go back to that that time frame um and not change anything because nobody can um but if there's a, a guy listening to this who feels like hey i'm in that spot what do you think that you would say to him hmm. um i'd probably say give yourself a little bit of grace you know um I'd first encourage them to, to know that, uh, they're loved out there, you know, that, 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 that they matter in the world, you know, cause there were times where I felt like I didn't matter. Um, and yeah, like there's some deep holes you sit in. Um, and I think sometimes you just have to sit in the hole for a little bit, you know, and hopefully you find someone who's willing to come and maybe sit in the hole a little bit with you <laughs> and just kind of like comfort you, but you can't just get stuck in the hole, right? You can sit in the hole for a second, but just then you get, then you got to get out. Like people get lost in that hole. And that's the problem is then it, then it becomes irreversible if you stay in the hole for too long. So you just gotta like find the one thing you can do, take that small step. You know, it seems insurmountable if you think like, I gotta, you know, get from here to, to there, but you know, if you just think like, no, I got to get to here from two steps. Okay. Well, and then from there you can take another step and figure out what it is. And so, so many times people get overwhelmed because they looking at something like super big rather than figuring out what are the smallest achievable steps we can do to get not to that thing, but maybe closer to a place where I could do that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are not as honest with themselves as they think they are. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what I would say is like, you have to objectively understand, like, are you in this hole because somebody did something to you? Because there are things that people can do to you that put you like, there's, you know, like violence, trauma, there's like all sorts of things that could happen where you are a victim. Mm -hmm. But is it just because you feel offended for something? Is mm -hmm. it just because you're uncomfortable in a setting? Like, and in those instances, I would just say like, well, can you change that setting? Can mm -hmm. you change those circumstances? Like what around your control? You can't really control what happens to you in life, but you can control, you know, obviously how you respond to it. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not the best at that, by the way, like I'm kind of just, I'm kind of a hothead, I, you know, like I, I'm working on patience and I'm working on just being more kind, but like, um, I'm not those things. 
And so I don't know, I probably wouldn't listen to advice, even if I came back to myself and I gave myself the wisest advice ever. I'd be like, fuck you, guy. <laughs> like, what the hell do you know? <laughs> but, you know, if somebody were listening, I'd just say, like, you got to keep going. It was mm -hmm. what, what's the other choice? Yeah. Like what? Um, yeah, what's the other choice? You never know how close you are to something. You know, there's always, the, I don't know if you've seen the meme of like, uh, not really a meme, but it's like a, an image of two guys like carving uh, out of a cave and one turns around and quits and he's like just real thin away from the other one. And the other guy like, keeps going and it's like, and you never know when you're going to break through to the, like, to the thing you're chasing yeah. and you're never going to know what little relationship it is. So I think people, a lot of times, like they think that they have to go talk to the biggest person to get noticed, or they think I have to like do some insurmountable thing when it's not that it's what you're doing. It's little steps. It's little relationships. It's little connections that then get you to a place where like you can take the next step up. And so I think a lot of people just need to be patient, give yourself some grace, know you're going to mess up and change your timeline. People mm -hmm. overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in five years. Right. So like typically we think we can get a lot more done in one year but we don't think about if we thought about it on a five-year span, how much you could get done. So very few people actually hit their goals over a one-year span. But if you break that out to three or five and you give yourself a little bit more time and trajectory, and not that you shouldn't shoot for that one-year milestones, but like things take time, right? It takes time to evolve. It takes time to change habits. It takes time to like for other people to trust you, right? If you're just jumping into a new career, well, I'm probably not going to hire you, you know? It might take you six months to get to a place where like somebody's going to hire you legitimately. Right. So you might have to like mm -hmm. figure out how to be scrappy. So I don't know, just, yeah, keep going. There's reach out to somebody like listen, listen to podcasts of other people <laughs> who come before you. Cause so many people have had that same story. So you really don't know what you don't know. And so like being so anxious and overwhelmed and having all these reasons why you can't achieve anything without like opening yourself up to literally free information from all of these people that have been in your situation before it's it's kind of a, a waste like to not do that thing and there's yeah I, I knew a lot of kids um who like if they didn't get a certain SAT score, they felt like their life was over. And all of these people are like, well, if I got into this college, my life would be different. And if, if I only did this sooner, my life would be different. And you know, like the, the quote of like, yeah, you didn't do that. Okay. So you can't change it. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do about that now? Cause like you wasting all of this energy over, oh, I wish I did this. If only I did that. If only I was smart enough to do that. I'm like, well, you didn't. So yeah. <laughs> What are you doing now though? Right? Like what's the yeah. thing now? Are you making that same mistake that you made then now? Yeah. Or have you actually course corrected? You yeah. know, cause that's a lot of people too. They get stuck looking back and they're like, oh, I fucked that up. And then it's like, well, are you still fucking it up? Or are you somehow trying to like course correct and, you know, change paths? And that's hard to do, especially the older you get, you get more set in your ways. You know, it's harder to like <laughs> step out of your comfort zone. Um, but yeah, your comfort zone will expand to fit anything you put inside it. Yeah. Like that's the beauty of it, you know, and um, it's scary. The fear of rejection is scary. The fear of like failure is scary. Um, but at some level, like you, you just got to jump. And 
after talking about past things and everything like that, to, to wrap up uh, things that you're excited about in the future, whether it's like long-term or short-term, I know that you're excited about products and I know that you're excited about um, Webflow and everything like that. I was just curious, is there anything that comes to mind that is like kind of at the front of your mind, short-term or long-term that, that you're excited about for the future? Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see that more people are paying attention to what's happening in the information sphere. Uh, there's so many people for so long have been into like these fad diets or, you know, they want to go keto or they got to go paleo diet, or I'm going to go, you know, whatever, vegan, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And I think people are starting to understand that their information diets are just as important. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm excited to see innovation in that space. Like I'm excited that remote work is taking off and that people are being able to have freedom back and their time back. And um, I think we're at a phase where every rule we've ever known about how civilizations work is going to be rewritten over the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. And to be alive for that, like to be around in a moment where um, so much change is happening so fast is kind of scary, but it's also, if you're an inventor, a tinkerer, if you're a, a creative person, like it's just fascinating to watch and see what's going on. So, uh, I'm just excited to see how this all evolves and to maybe play like the tiniest little sliver of a part. In it, <laughs> <you know? laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like life is going to be, everybody always says that life is going to be so different in two years or, or whatever. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And then maybe... think about how different it is from it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. Like I just had think about 10 years. Blackberry. <laughs> Blackberry. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, I don't think Facebook was a thing yet. Facebook was like um, 2007, maybe 2007, 2008, something like that. No, maybe it was before that, um, a little bit before that, maybe 2004. Um, but yeah, like, maybe I'm making all these numbers up. I don't know. But yeah, think, like in a decade, the phone, it'll be like the size of a grain of rice. You know, it'll be like something <laughs> stupid that just like, we'll all have them just implanted. You know, we'll all be plugging into Neuralink or something. Um, probably not in a decade, but yeah, everything is going to change. We're seeing it now. Like, think about, I mean, like, the stuff that's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine right now. Yeah. Think about what's going on with China and Taiwan and the Uyghurs. Think about this two, like a summer ago, we had the National Guard active in 27 out of 50 of the United States. Think about what's going on in Canada right now with this truckers protests and Trudeau and what's happening. Like the world is literally shifting right now, you know? And um, yeah, don't sit around waiting for it to change to see what it's gonna become for you to figure it out. Like this is the time to just go out and figure some of that out and figure out how you can play in this world. Uh, Cause it's, it's just, yeah, everything's just gonna change. Everything's literally gonna be rewritten. Um, and that, that, I don't know, that's exciting to me. It's, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the potential for chaos has always been something in my life. Like I, I tend to thrive in a little bit of chaos. When things in my life get a little too ordered, I start breaking shit and look for chaos which is probably mm. not a good thing. That's not a good thing. It's like, it's cost me relationships. It's cost me lots of stuff. Um, but there's some part of that, ironically, that as the world is falling apart, that my life is finally kind of like finding its trajectory in this space. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for folks to reinvent themselves, 
to create for themselves and to really just change their personal legacy and the legacy of generations to come by just being exposed to some of these tools and some of mm. these, 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 these things and keeping your eyes open, you know, like, yeah, it's a fucking wild times right now. We just did two hours. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> just looking at that. Two hours goes by, you know, like you get deep in these conversations. We probably go for another two hours. Too, you know? <laughs> like, I feel like so many of the things like, you, you know, I jumped over or like you have to kind of abbreviate because you're conscious of that. And then like, there's other questions that you ask sometimes. And I'm like, shit, I can't just answer that because I got to lay a little bit of the backstory to even for that to make sense. And so, yeah, I think that's the fun of this long form stuff and why um, it's performing, you know, so well, I don't, I don't know what your, your metrics are, but I know people are devouring long form content more than ever right now. Um, yeah. people talk about oh you got short attention spans bullshit right people are watching people tell me that all the time they're oh, like you, that your podcast needs to be shorter and i'm like thanks that's <laughs> 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 all i say i'm like thanks <laughs> yeah it, yeah and you do a good job of pulling these little clips out and sharing little nuggets and doing little things but i think people are desperate for real context real engagement real conversations not just packaged up three minute sound bites that are wrapped with commercials, you know? Yeah. Like you can't really learn anything here. You know, we can get to know each other. We can actually like spend some time going back and forth. And, um, and if people want to listen, they listen. If not, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do I get into this. Um, I, I got a, a, a strongly worded email one time somebody telling me how to do my podcast oh yeah and i was like i was like do i respond or do i just say thanks i just didn't respond yeah that's probably the and right i was thing. like i was like i don't even know you yeah <laughs> yeah and it's the thing is there's a lot of there's a lot of people there's a lot of people out there sitting on the sidelines just ready to hate i made a yeah. tweet the other day it said everyone wants a drink few want to carry the water right mm. so start your own podcast dude if you know so much about it and you're so great at it like just go start your own thing right show me how it's done that's yeah, what i say yeah. like what are you doing <laughs> and usually the usually the people that come at you like that are not doing shit there mm -hmm. is like they're either jealous or envious or whatever because in my experience the people who are actually doing cool things when they see something else coming up they're like yo that's cool good work because i respect or you appreciate what you know what it takes to do those things because you've done them so yeah. when somebody who's not doing that stuff offers criticism and whatever, like, and the people who are going to give you valuable criticism are going to do it from a, a place of love and respect. It's going to be, you know, like meaningful and it's going to be the intent is going to be to build, not to just, you know, critique. There's so much power in, in like people who you and I are friends with who really have this mentality and aren't faking it that like more for you is not less for me. Correct. Correct. That's the right and mindset. It's, it's really hard because um, a lot of people, they, they just like the only way I can describe it is like in some countries, the idea of like ownership and having something that is yours is just not something that they mm -hmm. have been exposed to that idea. Cause I remember when I, when I was talking to Vlad and I said like, Hey, did when you, um, uh, left Russia were you able to like sell your house were you able to like kind of like take some of your assets with you and he just looked at me he's like what are you talking about yeah. <laughs> that, that's not something we really think about that's not really something that we get and and like so that 
the the idea of like other people thinking that more for for you is less for me it's it's really tough but it's not something that i see often with people that you and i are friends with which is yeah. a very nice place to be <laughs> yeah it's not a zero-sum game there's there's a lot of pie here for more to come and the more people who come eat pie the more pie we make it's like it's one of those just yeah it's uh this is just getting started this whole no code thing and webflow specifically like 10 years from now we'll all be looking back and just be like oh you know those are fun <laughs> times <laughs> oh remember but, when <laughs> one thing i wanted to let you know before um uh we wrap up is uh i was telling some friends of mine that i was going to do a podcast with you and it was really funny uh because i didn't have to say your last name and they were like <laughs> they knew exactly who you were yeah and a lot of my friends are like oh my gosh i can't wait for it to come out like let me know when it comes <laughs> out so i'm just letting you know like yeah. um there, a lot of at least my friends are like really excited to to hear about you and hear from you yeah no, I'm excited to do these things. I did, uh, was it the, with them along the, uh, I forget what they call their show. Um, like Webflow talk or something like that. Webflow talk oh, or yeah. something like that. Um, yeah. And I, I love, I love seeing and supporting this stuff and people are so interesting. Um, I am more interested in the story of the people behind the products and services that we're seeing than the mm -hmm. products and services themselves, you know? Um, because when you meet the people, then like you understand the intention of what they're building. And when you understand the intention of what people are building, like intent matters a lot. We've, we've removed intent from, you know, what we, what we think matters, right? Like now you don't have to intend a, a remark to be racist. It just is racist because somebody disagrees with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is the world we live in. Intent doesn't matter, but intent does matter. Intent is literally everything. Like the rule of law is built around intent, right? There's a difference between if I stab you and kill you, Versus if I, you know, like was texting on my phone and you walked in front of my car and I kill you, right? Mm. They're still both technically murder, right? But mm -hmm. there's one is like a manslaughter versus the other one is like intent to, you know, like intent to kill. Yeah. And so intent matters. And so I think when you can understand someone's intent and when you can like peel back the layers, uh, it makes it more genuine to that cause. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, and, and people are willing to have a little bit more grace. And so that's what I think is fun about the long form stuff and about just the relationships that are forming is that this is how trust is built. You know, these are the relationships that five, 10 years from now will be fueling this ecosystem. You know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I met Joe three years ago and now like we're over here doing this cool things together and who knows like who else we're going to meet and where that will be three years from now. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if that even is a adequate response to what you're saying there, but um, yeah, shout out to whoever those friends are. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I always like getting uh, to know folks in the community on stuff like this. So wherever I can squeeze it in, I, I do like to listen to that stuff. Perfect. So the the way that I, I end the podcast uh, is if, if somebody's listening and, and they get to the end, they're like, oh my gosh, I've like never heard of this person before, or I'm a huge fan of this person. Like, how do I reach out to them? Uh, that That's how I end it every time. So I end it where I say who I am, kind of like what I do again, in case somebody forgot, and then where people can reach out to me and stuff like that. So we'll start with me, end with you, and then we'll head out of here. Does that sound good? Sure. Sounds great. Perfect. Okay. So, uh, hi, <laughs> my name is Emily Giordano, and I am a uh, UX Webflow podcaster, copywriter, 
person. And <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, I, either at my email, emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignlead.com. Greatdesignlead.com is my website. It's also this little YouTube channel that I do for fun, uh, but mainly my podcast as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you want to reach out, if you want to be friends, if you want to um, come on the podcast, if you have a project that you're working on that you need help with, reach out, you know where to find me. And uh, that's enough about me. We'll go to Raymar and then we'll head out here. <laughs> yeah. Hi again. I'm Raymar Torado. I am the chief marketing officer at FinSuite. And uh, if you'd like to reach me, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, at Raymar, R-A-Y-M-M-A-R with an underscore at the end um, or Raymar.com. Or you could come hang out on the live streams with us. <laughs> Twitter's probably the best place, honestly. Um but yeah, if you're out there, just get excited about what's happening and find find your own way to get involved. You know, maybe you'll be on the podcast and I'll be listening to you next. <laughs> yeah, come on, uh, uh, follow them on YouTube and then put your uh, alerts on. Then you'll get your the notifications on your phone and then you can watch their <laughs> live streams right. during your <laughs> lunch break, which is what I do. <laughs> nice. So uh, I guess this is just goodbye until next time. And thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. Yeah, of course. Thanks. I hope I didn't give too much. I could have to listen and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> no, it's so I uh, this is literally one of my favorite things to do. And I can't do it unless somebody like you wants to hang out with me. So I really, really yeah. appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to be here. So cheers and best of luck with all of it. <laughs>